0: Welcome to the Money and Time Machine podcast, where you can learn how to rage against the theft of your financial future by listening to a unique perspective on what's holding you back from a life of more money and more time.
1: Hello and welcome to the Money and Time Machine podcast. I'm your host, Justin Paul. This is episode 20. I want to share a personal story. It was a Saturday afternoon almost a decade ago. I worked that day as I had worked most weekdays and weekends, since I was happy to meet with clients who were as busy as I was. My wife ran her own business, so it seems all she did was work. Even when she was home, she was always working. I opened up the fridge, hoping for all hope that there was at least a beer in the fridge, but when I opened it up, it was empty. I recall the days and times when we had the time to go shopping together. I heard my wife pull up in the driveway, happy to finally see her as I always was. When she came inside, her eyes were red with tears. I knew her grandmother was ill, so I assumed she was upset about that. She walked up to me, gave me a hug, looked at me, and said the words I want a divorce. Three things I've learned in life about when life throws mud in your face one, it's unexpected. Two, it happens fast. And three, the timing is almost always inconvenient. The one thing that binds these three things together, like egg yolk in a bowl of flour, is that it's almost always going to impact you financially and and economically. So there you have it. I learned very quickly after that less than memorable time in my life that the subsequent months, if not years after, that I had to grow up. Till that fateful moment, I had left all the uh, money matters to my then wife. I was just happy to work, and work hard I did. I knew we had issues, but not the kind that could call for the end of our marriage, but it would appear I was sadly disillusioned. The one great blessing, ever, was that as painful as it was for both of us, we had to split our assets, plan how best to do so, and we decided to leave lawyers out of the equation. Why would anybody want a third party to get a piece of the pie that we had built just because our marriage had waned? Now, I appreciate that there were no kids in this situation, and that emotions aside, it would have been just as easy to let our emotions override the logic and rationale of the situation. But I'm blessed that we handled things the way we did. Even though our marriage came to an end, we maintained the integrity of our time together intact. And I'm certainly not suggesting that the process went without arguments and tense moments, far from it. Suffice to say, the years post my marriage as a single person having to deal with banks, finance brokers advice which I suspected wasn't always based in my best interest, but I survived albeit by the skin of my teeth because I worked like I didn't think it was possible for a person to work, borrowing from my parents to keep the banks happy and my dignity intact, spending a number of years later paying back my folks while getting used to living life as a single person with all the financial responsibilities that it entailed." Whilst things have changed since, uh, meeting my now partner complete with my instant family, I grew up and grew up fast. Being in my late thirties and trying to keep my financial world from falling apart was hard, but it wasn't as though I had a choice. If you really think about it, what other choice do you have when faced with life challenges? But I'm grateful for the experience. I didn't blame anyone, perhaps myself for a while, but I realized I wasn't achieving anything by being hard on myself. And then when I thought things couldn't possibly get any worse, a lawsuit, one and a half years in and out of court defending myself, tens of thousands of dollars later in lawyer's fees, I guess I needed the lawyers after all, a health scare that saw me go under the knife two weeks after my first consult, did I mention the three things about when life throws mud at your face, and again, did I mention the financial and economic realities that come with some of life's challenges? So my next guest is a woman whom, when I first met her, I just knew she was someone I wanted to share with the Money & Time Machine audience. She's honest, but her honesty doesn't detract from her professional approach to money. She's a professional finance broker, and my sense of her, I can define as that distinguishable sense of transparency, which is why I just had to have her on my podcast show. Welcome to the Money & Time Machine podcast, Jody Carl from Sterling Finance. Welcome, Jody.
0: Thank you, Justin. Um, and I must say, um, listening to your story, um, some of it you haven't discussed with me before. Um, my, I take my hat off to you. I, I it must have been a hard road for you to travel, but you've you've come out more resilient and stronger than ever. And it really goes to your character um, as to how you've handled everything. And and often you, uh, you know, nothing's a failure if you learn a lesson from it. Which um, you know, you've you've certainly done that. So thank you for the opportunity to come on your podcast.
1: No, no, thank you. A- absolutely. I- I've learned there's no such thing as failure, just results. And um, and uh, obviously, when you have those results in life, as we all do, you can learn from them. And as I said, um, there's little... Little else I could do but just try and get over that hump. Now, uh, Jody, I appreciate your candor and frankness in our past conversations. And, and I want to say that the purpose of our conversation today and this, this podcast interview is to share with the podcast listeners the role of a financial broker and how you can use the services of a financial broker to your advantage. Because often the relationship can be skewed as one party needing the other party more. And this certainly is not the case. And just as much as finance brokers have certain professional responsibilities, it's important that you uh, – Yeah. Uh, um, how, how best can I say that? Uh, it, it's important that you understand um, your obligations and um, your responsibilities – That may help you better choose to partner with a finance broker who best understands your needs and can offer you a best fit scenario, best suited to your existing circumstances and needs. That relationship, if you understand what we're about to discuss, can have you feeling in control and in the process, nurturing and developing a bond or relationship with your finance broker built on a foundation of mutual understanding and trust. So, Jody, let, let me ask you, perhaps, let's start this off with a nice, simple question. Um, you know, for, for the benefit of the person listening, what is the difference between a finance broker and a financial p- planner, you know, though I'm sure there are some overarching commonalities? Uh, this is a really good
0: question because some people still get confused about the similarities and differences between them. So, I'll do my best in, in trying to um, define this. Firstly, a financial planner, which I am not, is someone who makes sure um, by creating a plan and reviewing it, that the client is doing everything required so that they can retire comfortably and meet their family's financial needs. Now, the activities involved, often cash flow management, retirement planning, investment planning, financial risk management, insurance planning, tax planning, estate planning and business succession planning um, for business owners. Whereas a finance broker, which is um, the career that I've chosen, um, provides credit advice and is legislated to look after the best interests of their clients, unlike banks who sell products. A broker negotiates with banks and credit unions and other credit providers on your behalf to arrange loans that meet your requirements and objectives, that is your short, your medium and your long-term goals. How they are alike and different? Well, Really, they both have to manage the best interests of the clients. This is paramount, and it's been very recently legislated in February of this year for finance brokers to do that. The financial institutions have to follow responsible lending legislation, as do we, but we have an added burden of providing for the client's best interest through a best interest duty um, legislation, which really does, hold us to a much higher standard in some cases than what the banks, you know, have to provide because they they can't comply with the best interest duty because they um, they really only have their own products to sell. If they're going to um, be required to look after the best interest duty of their client, then they would be required to let the client know about another bank that provides a better product than theirs and then they, they don't do that. Ah. So um, that's something that I've added to this um this talk, which I hadn't discussed with you before, but I think it's really important. So, a finance—so where the client looks out, where the broker looks after the client's uh, best interests, as do the um, financial planner. A financial planner's focus is really on the best management and utilization of your money, yes, the money that you actually have. Whereas a finance broker is finding the best funding options you need and/or don't already
1: have. Jody, could I could I just uh, interrupt you there? Could you just maybe backtrack a uh, little because you faded away there? Would you mind just uh, uh, just uh, redoing that last last little bit there for me, please? The client's best interests really have
0: to be taken into account by both a financial planner and a finance broker. Yes.
1: Um,
0: but a financial planner's focus is on the best management and utilisation of the client's money, the money that they have. Yes. Whereas a finance broker is finding the best possible funding options that the client needs that they don't already have. Within their own resources.
1: I'm with you.
0: That's, that's a the difference.
1: No, that, that that that's brilliant. Uh, very very well said. Uh, you know, in fact, after um, when I originally spoke with you, uh, it was the question you asked me, and you said, "Justin, you do realise I'm a finance broker, not a finance planner," and and I I, I did make that uh, um, uh, distinction. Um, but then it it sort of had me thinking. Well, maybe I should do a little bit more research to uh, you know to uh, understand the the real differences. So you've uh, you've said that very well. Thank you very much for that, Jody. It wasn't that long ago that the big banks year in Australia came under a dark cloud, which culminated in this Royal Commission. And the surprising thing that resulted in what I called a smoke and mirrors campaign, where in the end, it was... uh, finance, you know, finance brokers who were deemed to be the ones thrown under the bus. The focus, as it were, was aimed at the um, uh, the symptoms of fiscal mismanagement or misappropriation, but the actual cause of the issues that warranted the commission went largely ignored. That affect your industry and you personally, or did the affair just die off uh, naturally? And as far as the status quo, quo goes on, you know, business just carried on as usual.
0: Yeah. Look, it did threaten the viability of our whole industry rather unfairly, and it wouldn't have been in the best interests of the consumer had our industry disappeared. When I when I started eight years ago, brokers wrote forty percent of all home loans. Now we write more than sixty percent, and there's a really good reason for that. Yeah, the big four have lost majority market share. Second tier lenders, all other lenders, have actually gained market share, and the big didn't like it so they effectively and unfairly misconstrued certain facts that were misunderstood in the wider community this wasn't so much by our existing client bases because they know how how we operate and what our value proposition is yes but it was misunderstood by those that have no understanding of how our industry works those that go directly to the bank and haven't used a broker before However, this allowed us the opportunity to educate the wider community about our value and dispel those common myths, which was a fantastic opportunity. Um, it's funny how the, the threats that may you may face become opportunities um, in the end. So, for example, we, we provide choice and competition in the marketplace, which better serves the consumer. And without us, interest rates would be higher, what they are, uh, across all banks today. We are legislated, as I've said, to look after the client's best interests, interest but the banks aren't yes um what you have to ask yourself is will your bank that you currently bank with let you know about another bank's product that may be better than me <laughs> the answer is no
1: yes yeah absolutely because is it mark burris the um the australian personality i mean you know is is worth a, a few squillion and uh, he's kind of like the—I uh, wouldn't say the equivalent of Donald Trump—but he's got his own sort of finance show there, where he, he helps burgeoning entrepreneurs and business owners. Um, but yeah, he, he had a lot to say uh, about um, uh, finance uh, broking as, as the industry, uh, you know, being uh, have their head put on the end of the stick. And um, and oh. I, I, you know, all things said and, and done, it, it didn't look as if they actually resolved the 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 the, the cause of, of the issues there. So I, I appreciate uh, some from someone in that industry. You know, from your perspective, uh, what your thoughts were. Now, definitely. Sorry, he no, just,
0: no, just goes, on, on that. He's definitely high profile, but it was a really interesting thing that happened within our industry. We have um, obviously various um, broker aggregation groups, which look after different groups of brokers, and they, and we're in competition with, with each other. We also have two professional bodies that um, have been in the past competition against each other. But what was really lovely to see in our industry is that we we all have such a commonality in providing our clients with the best service um, that we can. That yes. we Actually came together, and um, we, we we launched a national campaign, basically to educate the public via the media, and also um, approaching the different politicians and the different consumer groups to actually explain how our industry works and what is we do and the outcomes we achieve. And the the, the number of complaints that get um, reported against brokers is point zero one percent of all complaints. Really? So. The rest of them come from the banks directly?
1: <laughs> interesting, interesting. Um, thanks for that, uh, Jody. That's a, a bit of uh, um, you know behind the scenes information I would never have been privy to, or for that matter, the the, the listeners. Jody, there, there is a beautiful and somewhat painful story you shared with me um, that impacted your decision to pursue a career in your respective industry of finance broking. Um, what made you want to pursue a career in finance?
0: Wow. Um, <laughs> yes, it is a story. Um, my previous career was as a secondary high school teacher. Uh, I taught um, upper school accounting, law economics, phys ed and religious education. So I already have a very strong affiliation with empowering others through transmission of knowledge and in particular financial literacy. Yes. However, whilst having a break from work to have my three beautiful children now age between 14 and 18 years old, I took time off to be a stay-at-home mum. During this time, my husband, a home handyman, had been looking at ways of future-proofing our income, so was looking to buy a business that we could grow and largely manage. He found whether he was led to believe could make 5% per annum and be run under management. Unfortunately, at the time, I'd just given birth to my third child with a toddler and a preschooler in tow, so didn't have much input into the decision, rather leaving it to my husband. Um, who, despite having a bachelor of business degree, it was a bit unfair that I did that, and I did abdicate my my responsibility, and I do regret that. So I can't apportion the blame totally to him, but really to both of us for not doing a due diligence. Um, he was a very my husband's a very trusting man in his dealings, and he was with this particular business broker and the owner of the business. Yes. However, the result was that we borrowed money to buy a business we could not actively work in, and which we found could not be run under management. So we lost $1,000 a month. No, actually, it was $1,000 a week for six months, in addition to making $2,000 a month in interest-only loan repayments. Ouch. As well, as well, my husband, who was already working hard in his own business during the day, had to get up from 2 a.m. in the morning and work an additional five to six hours wrapping and rolling newspapers and then delivering them um, and then go on to his normal job during the day. So the fallout was pretty horrendous to us personally and financially. We had to kiss goodbye to $200,000 by selling an asset to pay off that debt, um, which we bought as part of our superannuation plan, which I will talk about a little bit later. We had to tighten tighten our belt with all expenses whilst consulting business brokers and lawyers to try and salvage what we could or get some sort of justice. We decided to shut the business down rather than try and sell it to some other suspecting purchasers, thus putting them in the same position that we currently were enduring. And we actually took the best advice a lawyer has ever given to us and that was to walk away or risk losing our marriage and doubling our losses. We had a home, business and property loans with one bank, which we had cross securitized and fixed six months prior to the GFC hitting the world to get us certainty of loan repayments while we tried to get this new business off the ground. Yeah. Which hamstrung us even more as it as it turned out. Within months, we started to see rates across the board drop, whilst ours remained fixed for the next five years. Um, breaking the loans was not an option and would have cost us over forty thousand dollars. Sorry, no, that's, good. Oh. that's good. i appreciate yeah, It's so emotional. <laughs> so, oh no, no, that's okay. So, fixed loan break costs on how much you fix are, are, are worked out based on the yeah the amount you fix, how long's left to run, and the interest rate differential between the rate that you're breaking from and the rate that you're going through. So yes. we had the breathing down our necks, knowing everything about us, how much we earned our outgoings, and the fact that we were overcommitted. We were on quarterly reviews for the next few years. To say that it was extremely stressful is, quite honestly, just a massive understatement and something I'd never wish upon a on. I'm a reasonably strong person and resilient person, but at one stage I had a massive panic attack which resulted In our GP putting me on antidepressant medication for a short period of time to get through the situational distress that I was suffering. And if anyone's ever had a panic attack, it feels like a heart attack. I
1: can imagine.
0: To this yeah, awful. To this day, 13 days, 13 years later, I can still not get certain types of personal risk insurance, such as total and permanent disability cover as a result. So as soon as my youngest was in school, I decided to this is after we shut down the business and, and moved on. As soon as my youngest was full-time in school, I decided to formally learn about property, banks and finance to a a more detailed degree, which has led to my current career. My mission is to ensure that my clients get the best out of their banks rather than the other way around, taking into account their short, medium and long-term goals by correctly structuring their banking so as not to put their wealth and security at risk.
1: No, no, no. Thank you, uh, Jody. And look, uh, I I remember when we were sitting down there on the South Perth foreshore at uh, one of our favourite coffee shops and you were telling me the story. And it's the old adage, you know, if you were to throw all your problems... Into a, a bowl, um, you know. Most of us would go and and listen to other people's problems. We'd go back to our own. But that that uh, look, I think, if if anything, that's, that that uh, speaks volumes to your character. And and I really wanted you to to share that. And and, and thank you for that, because you know it's not something that um, uh, I, I think too many people would share. But I think what it does, it, it lends to the integrity. Uh, of the foundation as to why it is you pursued a career in the finance broking industry. And uh, I think uh, that story alone, if that doesn't engender trust, then I'm not sure what will. Um, Jody, you heard in my introduction... A fact that far too many people may not want to acknowledge, which is the ignorance many of us suffer from when it comes to our understanding of how we can best utilize and monopolize the expertise of a finance broker. And I'll put my hand up to that. I was naive and as, as ignorant as anything. The problem is that many of us don't know what we don't know. So what are some of the, the, you know, of the basic to intermediate things to look out for when wanting to use the services of a finance broker?
0: Okay. Well, firstly, um, brokers have anything up to fifty banks at their disposal, and whilst we do get paid commission, the difference is negligible. Despite what came out in the royal commission, the difference on the commission we get paid is about fifty-five dollars per hundred thousand of lending that the client takes out. Uh, certainly, wouldn't wouldn't influence me as to putting the client into a worse product so they don't get paid a bit more. Yes. In addition, before we can even provide recommendations with regards to best rates and fees, we need sure that you as a potential client of the bank match their credit policy and criteria so as to be approved for finance. Some banks won't lend for construction purposes or they may have issues with clients whose employment is still probationary or on a part time or casual basis. Some banks won't lend to you based on the size of your property, for example, inner-city small apartments less than 50 square metres or based on the postcode you are buying your property in, for example, northern mining towns such as Newman, Corp, Um, Port Hedland, some won't lend to you based on your your credit file score due to lots of credit inquiries or a bankruptcy or late payments or even just having a payday lender listed on there even though you may have paid that lender back completely. We check all of this and we ensure we're not putting you with a lender that will decline you based on your particular circumstances, thus affecting your credit file when you're likely to have to approach another bank. So we actually protect the client's um, personal situation.
1: That's yes. why we work in the best interests no no, look thank you you know you've certainly illuminated uh, 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 quite a number of uh, facets that I was totally oblivious or unaware of you know i I was wondering if if you could uh, demystify one of the fallacies of the uh, banking industry uh, where from a market perspective the uh, the market loves the sound bites of cheaper or cheapest interest rates, you know. So what does that actually mean and and how can a prospective customer looking at finance options better understand what that means in reality?
0: Okay, just, just before I do go into that, um, banks will always advertise their best possible rates, but that's for clients with the best possible situations and um, who are likely to be borrowing the maximum amount of funds um, and basically what we call vanilla clients, which, you know, especially in this current market, there are a lot of those types of clients. And yes. yes, well, they may be able to go to a lender. Um, not everyone is in that situation. So when it comes to getting the best rates, Even if you are the best possible candidate, the rule of thumb is that the more you borrow, as long as you're not borrowing over a certain loan-to-value ratio. Now, I'll just explain what that is. So, the loan-to-value ratio is 80%. So, for example, if you're borrowing $400,000 to buy a $500,000 property, your loan is 80% of the value of the property that you're buying. So, you want to be 80% or lower to get the best rates because lenders mortgage insurance um, applies once you go over that eighty percent threshold. So you get a you get a discount for bulk buying more money and you get a discount for being less risk and not incurring lenders mortgage insurance under that eighty percent. So the better mm-hmm. the rates will be over hundred and fifty thousand you'll get an okay rate over two hundred and fifty, the rate will be better. Over five hundred thousand dollars, it will be even better again. Over seven fifty or over one million, you'll be spectacular. Yes. Um, and brokers have access to all of these products. So, the, the old adage of shopping around for broker um, to me is a bit of a misnomer. Really and honestly, we do have access to most of the products in the marketplace. And it, what dictates the best rates that you'll get is your circumstances, not so much like, that's actually doing doing the loan. I'm with you. So you so you get rewarded the more you borrow, as long as the risk is low and the lender's mortgage insurance is not involved. After financing, even with variable rates, one bank may have the best rate at one point in time, but then that may be the worst rate in six to twelve months' time. Uh, Different lenders will try and capture market share at different times of the year, and they will offer specials. So if you're going to be a rate chaser, it could end up costing you more money in the long run, especially because although there's no more exit fees to pay, there are changeover costs and it's around about $1,000 per property um, to change from one bank to another as well as the inconvenience. Now, the $1,000 is made up of a uh, discharge fee of about $400 from your existing lender, a re-registration fee to the new lender and these are all you know, fairly standard charges with all banks um, for, for their mortgages to come off and go on a person's title. I'm with you. The other fee that's involved is um, an application fee. And it's either you pay an application up, fee up front or you'll pay an annual fee if you want the bells and whistles such as offset accounts. So on average, it's about $1,000 per property to change over from one bank to another. So the cost benefit to justify that has to be there. Yes. Um, anyway, why would you do it? I, I, I always look at it that you want to at least break, break even um, will start to be in front by you know the end of the first year or sooner if possible. The more, this is more realistic when you're talking about fixing rates or wanting to a particular credit policy or specific product characteristics. It's always about looking at the big picture. The finance broker should be reviewing your loans periodically anyway. I I review loans annually for anyone on a variable rate or at the end of any fixed period loan. And and I, I always try to negotiate with the client's existing bank to keep their rate competitive within the market so they don't have to incur these changeover costs. So this is one reason why finance brokers are worth their weight in gold, I believe, because the banks aren't going to review your loan every year and let you know that you've now got a new rate from down or they're offering this to new clients. So, you know, they'll give it to you as well. They rely on a client's
1: apathy. Yes. Now, uh, Jody, I-, I love that I can ask you these questions, you know, um, how do banks measure and quantify risk and what it means to 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 them and, and how should a prospective customer understand the long term implications of what that risk means to them because there are many variables that can that can and i think do happen from time uh, from t- you know from the time a loan is approved uh, and the and the time duration that the loan is active in other words you know what what protections should a consumer consider that they may not consider in the event that life circumstances do change.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, before I answer that question, yeah, risk is everything to the bank, and they will do anything to mitigate it. And where they can't, they will they will adjust rates accordingly in in most circumstances. Um, and it's whether or not the the actual um, client is willing to pay um, for that risk being mitigated. So, what I say to people is, where possible, don't cross securitize. Um, but if you do, be wary about fixing any of your loans for a long period of time, unless you're 99% certain that you might be likely to break that fixed fixed period or have to pay break costs, which is based on how much you've fixed, how long left till the fixed period ends and the interest rate differential um, between what you're breaking from and going to, which I think I've sort of discussed before. Mm. So, break, so breaking from a lower... If, if you do have to pay break costs, breaking from a low interest rate to go to a higher one is not likely to incur as great a cost as breaking from a higher rate to go to a lower one. It all comes down to the loss to the bank as I'm to how the break costs work. So um, having to break a loan may occur for different reasons. It could be, you know, the breakdown of a marriage, as you've already discussed. It could be... Um, a bankruptcy, it could be that you, you know, really want to refinance to a different lender because the lender you're with has different policies and what you want to do next um, doesn't comply with that lender or, you know, you may want to sell your property because it's no longer suitable for you. So, you have to really have a bit of a long-term view to this and, and fix for a period of time that you're fairly certain you're not going to have to have to uh, break that, that contract with the bank for those bank costs. So, so that's that's really a risk to the client. Um, also, I would strongly suggest utilising different banks for different purposes to spread your risk and ensure you maintain control of the banks and not the other way around. For example, um, I've now adopted an approach where I I would have one bank for home loans and personal banking. Yep. I would have another one for investment property lending and yet another one for business lending. So spread your risk amongst different banks because if you're not happy with one particular bank, um, you know you've got the option then to probably change from that from that lender to another lender for a particular aspect of your financial um, management um, and control. So whilst more complex and a bit more costly, because you you don't always get the bulk discount having all your lending at one bank, yeah. I believe it gives you flexibility to move banks if you're not happy with one. Yeah. Okay. And that way they're not dictating to you what you can and can't do or sell and not sell if financial issues hit you and decisions need to be made. Also, another thing that the client can do to help um, mitigate their own risk is, is to create buffers and contingency funds in reserves so that you're not living on the nice edge of debt i've done it and i've explained in this podcast how that affected me and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. It's, you know sleeping at night is very important um, yes. so you ensure that you have surplus funds in your car if your car blows up or if, if it has to be replaced your tenants move out or your investment property of your investment property or it takes a while before you find a suitable tenant to replace them and also to cover your own personal expenditure if you may lose your job or decide to become self-employed and have to put all your money from trading in back into the business um so there's lots of lots of reasons why it's important to create you know that that little safety comfort factor or
1: sleep factor as i call it yeah <coughs> excuse me there jody uh, well, well said uh you know um <laughs> i, I could have used that a few years ago so um um, now, Jody, I know you're very strong on this point, uh, and, and the point is that uh, you know your approach is to align your client's best interest, and I know you do this always. So when, for example, I've discovered that after the fact that my former broker's interest and that my long-term objectives were not always in alignment and, – and this is not to say that they were negligent or, or, or intentional – what I should have considered prior to the, the the high emotions of the initial approval that that in hindsight I, I you know I probably should have tweaked it a little a little bit better to to get the best deal. And I think this is something that all of us are guilty. We get so excited about the prospect of being approved that we 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 tend to just shut our pie holes and just um, you know <laughs> yeah, um, uh, let's not rock the boat, so to speak. And so um, is, is that, that that seems to be the foundation of, of your approach to finance broking.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, look, they're good and bad in all occupations. You know, there's good and bad doctors, lawyers, accountants mm. and, and finance workers. I mean, most 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 of my colleagues that I know, we've been we've been actively um, looking after our clients' best interests before. We've now been legislated to do so. So, the changeover, whilst um, compliance-wise, we have to now be extremely careful that we do do that. I honestly believe that in the past, most most brokers have have been doing that, um, probably the majority. But you know, you always get your rogues out there, and, and it's really down to the client asking lots of good questions and going on referrals from family, friends, um, based on their experience with, with the broker that, that they've already seen. So ask lots of questions, ask to see testimonials or referrals from friends and families. I don't believe brokers last long in this industry, not looking after the best interests of their clients. And my philosophy has always been in life, not just broking, but to treat others as you wish to be treated. Yes. As you've heard, I've, I've been on the knife edge of debt, had books breathing down my neck, and I don't wish it on anyone. But my reason for doing this vocation is to help clients guess, get the best funding for their requirements and objectives and to do it with the best at their best interests at heart. So my, I don't have a big budget to spend on advertising to gain clients. I have grown, grown very organically. My business is based on referrals. I also have business partners I refer my clients to based on the quality of their work. I don't pay or receive referral fees from my business partners as I just want them to look after my clients like I do. If they go burning my clients through not looking after them, then my clients are not likely to come back to me either. So it reflects badly on me. And I actually don't want the conflict of interest. I uh, also only want to work with clients that value what I do and don't waste my time picking my brain and going elsewhere or direct to the bank for information that I provide. So, to me, it's about mutual respect between me and my client. The first time I deal with a client, I do charge a loan processing commitment fee and it's usually between $275 and $550 including GST depending on the complexity of the work and number crunching that's required. But if it results in a loan, I refund that fee in full including the GST because I'm actually happy to be paid by the bank directly when the, when the loan settles. But whilst I don't charge, I'm not a free information service. So if people want a second opinion, I'm, I'm look, I'm really happy to give one, but I will charge for my time um, that it takes to provide that information. I find, though, that once a client has dealt with me, they don't often leave me to go elsewhere. I look after my clients and ask that they do the same with me. So if my fee does put anyone off, the initial line processing commitment fee, then that's fine. I'm unapologetic for that and, you know, I wish that person well if they decide that they, they want to go elsewhere.
1: No, well, well said, uh, Jody. And uh, I, I've heard people who um have used um uh, used your expertise uh, share the same sentiment there, there, there is value and I think that that's probably the, the one word that came to mind in speaking to some people is that you do provide uh, monumental value uh, and that value alone is as I said is what engends trust well thank you There was uh, Jody Carl in part one of the money lender of the money and time machine podcast uh, I will bring the second half of that interview back the following week But hopefully uh, you can appreciate why it is I wanted this particular lady on my show and having waited six months to finally get her, I can assure you it is well worth it. You know, the reality is we spend almost all of our working lives in debt, yet few of us will ever inquire about this debt, the level of debt, the nature of the debt and how well you understand that debt. If you recall my previous episode with Paul Council on understanding risk, uh, as he defines risk, which is in any given context text, your probability of making ineffective choices. And I think what Jody Carl does particularly well in the first half and more so in the second half of this um, the money lending uh, podcast interview is that she separates the myths from the facts and for those of us that have an inquiring mind and are not prepared to uh, sit by idly as the banking and lending institutions take advantage of us i certainly think uh this podcast episode has been well worth it so till we meet again please take care i look forward to getting you back for the uh, part two of this interview so please stay safe and we'll speak soon
0: Thanks for listening to the Money and Time Machine podcast. And remember, you're either someone else's version of a money and time machine, or you can learn how to become your very own effective money and time machine and to live with purpose on purpose.